Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. It's almost here. It's just over a week to go until the start of the Winter Olympics taking place in Pyeongchang in South Korea. It will be an amazing spectacle with some of the greatest sports stars on the planet. And of course, we have to cover the winter sports on the best in the world with Richard Parr. And we should be having some amazing guests for you over the next few weeks And I've got a brilliant guest for you on today's podcast. It is with the reigning 2014 Olympic champion in downhill skiing, Dominic Gizen, joins us on the program. You might remember she ended up sharing the gold medal with Tina Maze in Sochi four years ago. An incredible story. She suffered so many injuries throughout her career, but finally managed to take gold right towards the end. It's a really fun conversation with Dominique. We cover a whole range of topics, talking about why she's now studying physics. Yes, physics. How she has learnt how to fly. (laughs) I know this is a very impressive lady. And we talk about what she changed in her mindset going into those 2014 Olympics. Lots of really good information and things that we can use to improve our everyday life in this week's episode of The Best in the World with Richard Parr. One of the cool things that we've done recently is open a Facebook group. It's very simple. It's called Best in the World. I'll put a link to it on the show notes page for you. Please come and join it. Join in the conversation. We're going to be talking a whole range of things. A lot of things related to what we do here on the podcast. We'll be talking about sports, high performance, nutrition, mindset, training, morning routine. We'll cover all of those things, but I'm sure we're going to cover lots of topics related to the Winter Olympics. So if you want a place to go to discuss your favorite moments, what you're looking forward to, some of the highs and lows of what will be an incredible games, please come and join that Facebook group, Best in the World. It's on Facebook. I'll put a link to it. And it will be awesome to have you as part of our community. All right, let's get to the interview with the Olympic champion in downhill skiing, Dominic Gisson. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.
Dominique Kizen, 2014 Olympic downhill skiing champion. Welcome to the best in the world with Richard Park. It's so great to speak to you. As I mentioned there, it's a few years ago now since you became Olympic champion. And I know since then you've retired. So why don't we just begin by you catching up with us with what you've been up to in the last few years, please. Well, I still skied uh, until uh, 2015, the springtime. I did the world champs in Beaver Creek. Uh, it was, uh, well, a little, I uh, was unlucky again. Uh, got injured and then I uh, had to hurry up with the preparation and uh, unfortunately didn't medal. But still, it was a great, uh, yeah, and final year of my career. I got twice Swiss champion uh, at last and then I retired from active ski racing. So uh, I'm a student now at ETH Zurich studying physics in my, I think it's called the senior year. <laughs> uh, so in my third year of the bachelor and yeah, working on that and uh, it's a really new life, new challenges, <laughs> lots to do and uh, have a lot of side projects. So it uh, never gets boring. <laughs> Why physics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, physics, everybody keeps asking me that. It's a pretty special uh, study, I guess. <laughs> but I always loved it. I always loved numbers. Mm. So it was uh, always something I, I was really looking forward to, um, to study this. I already knew as a kid that I wanted to do it. And uh, then when, when the day came and I retired from ski racing and I knew I wanted to do my studies, I just picked physics and uh, happened to be that uh, one of the best uh, universities for physics is in Switzerland. And that's where I'm studying at right now. Hmm, that's helpful. And so uh, physics, you're studying physics. Have you thought about what, what you would do after you you completed your studies with physics? Well, if possible, I would love to just go somewhere in where I could like unite the different worlds that, that fascinate me. I'm also a pilot, uh, still working on my commercial pilot license, uh, which should be finished uh, in the next two, three months. Uh, I've done all the um, theoretical exams uh, and now, yeah, working on my final practical exam. And uh, yeah, so physics, flying, sports, uh, it's a lot about energy, a lot about forces. And I would love to just get into a field where I could, yeah, try to... Um, let all these experiences uh, get in touch with each other and then hopefully do a do a good job mm, that's, that's amazing so you mentioned uh being a pilot there and you were part of the swiss air force is that true no um it's uh, a little different okay <laughs> it was distorted by media a bit um <laughs> i did the, the selections uh for for the swiss air force when i was young so when i was 16 years old uh, i applied to become a, a military pilot, but in Switzerland, a lot of people want to do that, uh, like probably in all, all countries all over the world. Mm. So you have to pass a selection, and I passed uh, several steps of the selection, but then got injured again and uh, got kicked out uh, of military service because my knees were pretty bad back then. And that's, uh, well, that's how I got into flying. Uh, and as soon as I started to earn money with skiing, I knew how to spend the money and I started to do my uh, private pilot license 
and later on uh, continued uh, the formation with with uh, my commercial pilot license. Yes, mm, fantastic. A- any scary moments? Oh, fortunately, not too many. Uh, there was one uh, when I was uh, just at the beginning of of my uh, um, education when when we uh, misread the, the meteor information and I, I got close to a thunderstorm and it was mm. not very comfortable with a small plane like that. So, I mean, I've always been cautious when I fly and that experience made me even more cautious. So nowadays I'm, I'd rather stay home than go fly when the weather is, is not 100% perfect. Mm, that makes sense. And we love talking about process on, on the best in the world. And... Is there anything that you've been able to take from your career and life as a skier that that helped you get your license, that helped you when you were learning to fly? I think so. I mean, there's so many things you learn when you're an athlete. And it's maybe not the things that are very obvious. I mean, nobody is too interested in how to do a perfect downhill turn when you fly, right? (laughs) But there's other things that you can rely on, like do strategical um, plan on how to learn, like how to be at your best in the right moment and stuff like that. So in, uh, just having a structure, uh, having rituals to, to make you really perform at your best level, uh, that's really something that, yeah, skiing helped me to learn and, and something that I can apply now uh, when I fly, but also in my studies, for sure. Mm. Um, you mentioned injuries there, and you mentioned that that's why you can uh, join the Swiss Air Force. So how how could you have knees that were not good enough for the Swiss Air Force, but were able to help you become <laughs> an Olympic champion? <laughs> well, I mean, that's two different timescales we talk about. Uh, when I was 14 years old, I got my very first uh, heart injury on my knees uh i tore my acl uh it's a pretty common injury in skiing but i was 14 years old so very young Mm. and then from then on it was pretty tough to to just you know get back i had a lot of complications on that first injury another three um surgeries uh because uh yes things went wrong with the first uh, surgery so when i was by the age of, I was uh, 17, I was really a mess. I mean, my knees were, were a real mess. I had already four knee surgeries. Um, yeah, and everybody told me, you can't forget about skiing. And I got kicked out of the military service, uh, which was super obvious back then. I mean, my knees were really bad. And then fortunately, I got a new doctor and, and we were able to to figure things out. But it took another three years until I made the breakthrough in uh, in in the World Cup, yeah. Mm. And how would that uh, affect you mentally? Because if, if you're having torn ACL, so, you know, skiing for a lot of people can be a, a kind of a scary process. And once you've been through those injuries, how do you kind of like block that from your mind? Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's not so easy. Um, we talk about mental stuff in sports everywhere. Everywhere is the same. Like, how do I win? How how not to get scared of losing and stuff like that. And there are the obvious mental things which are important when you're when you're an athlete. 
But in skiing, there is another dimension, and that's the many injuries. We have 35% of the athletes who are injured every year, so it's something really common. And when you're injured, it hurts, and your body is, is getting on a, on, a, on a level, or your mind is getting on a, on a level where it's more instincts than I would not. I mean, it's mental strength on another level because you fight your instincts. Nobody wants to get hurt. I mean, if, if we wouldn't adapt to pain, we still would burn ourselves on the oven every day, right? Mm. So that's a level which, which is additional in, 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 for example, skiing compared to, let's say, tennis, where obviously, I mean, I never seen an athlete getting hurt because he hits the ball in the out. Mm. It doesn't hurt. Uh, it makes you lose, but it doesn't make you go to the hospital. But in skiing, if you hit the ball in the out, let's say you do a big mistake, almost always leads to, to, to a crash. And a crash, especially in the speed disciplines, always almost uh, leads to an injury, which is just, yeah, obviously a big pain, yeah. And then you, you, work, you work on this in instinct level, and that's much harder than just work on, on let's say, a normal mental level, I think. What's the scariest crash you've had, Dominique? Oh, I had many uh, scary crashes. I guess the scariest was in Teresio in 2007 in the training, um, where I just, I mean, I hit the fence at 120K. And the, the worst thing was I didn't hit it immediately. Uh, like I hit it in, in, in Schlotning. That was all, all, all also very bad. But I, I approached it uh, for, for several seconds closer and closer. And I knew I'm going to crash. And I knew I could not slow down. And, and that was even worse because I, I had this moment where I saw the fence and I, I knew I can't avoid it, but it still took some seconds until I was in, in the fence, which was pretty scary. Mm. Uh, did you get uh, a lot of injuries from that one? Well, I did. Uh, I had, a, well, just a torn ACL and a left uh, inner ligament in my left knee. So it was just uh, my left knee who got really badly hurt. And the right knee was also uh, a little bruised and stuff, but it, it holds, so that was a good thing. <laughs> oh, crikey. Uh, Dominic, do you remember the first time you put on skis? I do. It's my first childhood memory. <laughs> I was one and a half years old. Oh, wow. And I don't really remember everything of it, but I remember that there was a hill and I wanted to go super fast down the hill. <laughs> And there was a, a bump which slowed me down, you know, because little kids, they cannot slow down so well. And I remember the feeling that I wanted to get over that, that hill, you know, that slowed me down. But I never made it, of course. But this, I think this chasing for speed was there already at a very young age. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, I guess at, at that age, you, you don't know that the injuries are there, do you? you? It doesn't matter if you fall, you just care about going fast, That's I guess. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. We'll be back with Dominique in just a moment. Now, I mentioned earlier how we're trying to build a community on Facebook with our Facebook group. Of course, we've got the Best in the World with Richard Parr Facebook page. There's also the Sportaccino Facebook page. We're across all forms of social media, but we're also creating a community at Patreon. 
Patreon is a place where creators can earn some money so they can continue to do what they love. And I love speaking to world and Olympic champions to learn things that we can use in our everyday lives to get a little bit better. And I hope you enjoy these conversations too. And if you do, I would really love it if you would help support us. And you can do that from as little as $5 a month. And we've got various different tiers. And the more you put towards our program at Patreon, the more you get out of it. And you'll see that there's different tiers. All you've got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash best in the world. It would really mean a lot to me if you can continue to support this podcast and we can continue to do it for you. And it's a place where you can meet other like-minded souls, people who are interested from learning from the very best. Please go and check it out. It's patreon.com forward slash best in the world. We also put a few exclusive posts and a little bit of information which you can't really get anywhere else online, only at patreon.com forward slash best in the world. All right, let's return to the conversation with the Olympic downhill skiing champion from 2014, Dominique Gisson. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. So during your your childhood, and uh, we we mentioned uh, about potentially being a pilot and everything like that when did you realize that you were good at skiing when did you realize that you could take this up as as a profession who i mean it was always a dream and then in 1996 i won the Grand Prix finals which was the biggest kids race back then and freni schneider was like the person who handed me over the medal and this moment person that you knew from tv which is your childhood hero just comes over at your place and just hands you the medal is it was a magical moment and i suddenly realized this is real i mean this is a real person giving me a real medal and this dream can be real you know it was more suddenly than a fantasy it was really a goal and uh i mean i never made it quite as far as franny did but I, I made it quite far. <laughs> mm, yeah, you definitely did. What What did you um, uh, look up to them about? What What was it that inspired you? I mean, she was just a perfect skier, right? And I, I just love the sport. It was something that <laughs> ignited the spark in me, and this this fire is still burning. I still ski so much when I whenever I can go on skis, I'm on skis. And then you watch the races on TV, and this woman she wins just everything and she has this particular style and i just loved it and i wanted to ski like her and uh, i wanted to just yeah race race the best hills in the world and that's that's what what i did then mm. so is it going to be tough watching the 2018 winter olympics rather than being there i, I will be there uh but uh, on the other side of of the camera so i will work for for swiss tv oh fantastic um, I think it's going to be a great experience. Uh, the first year after my retirement was really tough. I, I barely couldn't watch the races because I just felt like I should be there and I should race. And and then things changed. Uh, my sister started to do uh, fast uh, speeder events and she got really good. And I started to uh, just coach her a little bit. And then it was a lot of fun for me. And especially it was just 
amazing to pass on the knowledge, you know, the knowledge that you have built up over all these years. And with this, everything in my mind changed. And last year at the Home World Champs in St. Moritz, I felt completely okay with not racing. I was just in a completely new role and, and it was uh, very nice. What's the age gap between you and your sister? Almost nine years. So ah. we're a really different generation, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she gets she gets the benefit of all of that knowledge that you've got. How far do you think she can go? Oh, she can go far. Uh, we will see. I mean, she has really all the skills necessary uh, to do a nice career. Uh, she's a great technician. She has all the feelings uh, that uh, have to be there for 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 the speed disciplines and uh, I think uh, there will be great things coming for her. Mm, fantastic. And we're going to get on as to... As long as she stays healthy, but we, we will try everything to make her stay healthy. Yeah, um, let's just talk about that. Injuries aside, uh, not injuries aside, but, but crashes aside, is, is there anything that young skiers can do to, to try and avoid the injuries? Is there anything that they can do perhaps in their training, with their nutrition? Is there is there anything, looking back, that you've gone, all right, I could have avoided some things had I not done it? Crashes are going to be crashes, but is there anything yeah, else to do? Yeah, crashes are going to be crashes. I mean, skiing will always be a sport where you get injured, and mm. you have to kind of live with that. Uh, but there's still a lot you can do. I think a healthy uh, environment is, is important, like to train well, you have a strong body uh, you can avoid a lot of injuries uh, you can avoid injuries by eating well because what you eat is what you are right mm. so just having a strong body and then what I try to do with Michelle especially and also with other young racers that that I try to, to give some advice is just try to take away the pressure on the speed side um, I think it's not good to go head first in a downhill race um, especially if you're not at the level you should be. And I think uh, especially on, on the speed, well, I said a lot especially now, but just on the speed side, you want to make sure uh, to build up something very slowly and nicely. Um, maybe a good example is Michaela Schifrin, how she built it up, just take one race at a time and just try to get better step by step instead of just, yeah, crushing in there with your head first and then, yeah, ending up in a hospital again so uh, really get the pressure away from the young speed athletes like let them learn let them get the experience get the strength needed to to be safe and fast mm. you said you are what you eat there dominique what do you eat <laughs> well i think as a winter athlete you probably don't have to be as strict in your diet like a summer athlete because there's not only bad things about a little bit of fat, uh, especially when it's cold, but you want to make sure to eat to eat healthy. I mean, you need a very balanced diet. Uh, eat a lot of proteins as a as a um, force acid is always crucial. And there also, if you don't like meat or if you just get sick of it, uh, just make sure that you get your your proteins. Uh, you can drink shakes. Uh, there's a lot of, of possibilities. Uh, be sure to have enough vitamins, especially as a winter athlete. You're always in the cold. You're always outside. Uh, the elements are playing with you, so you want to make sure that you you, you can fight them uh, so you're not sick all the time. And I think 
just be balanced. Uh, there's nothing bad about a little bit of chocolate, especially when you're Swiss. It's almost <laughs> necessary, you know. Uh, but yeah, there's a difference between a little bit of chocolate and two bars a day. So just make sure that you, yeah, you you eat what what your body tells you to eat mm, and not I... what your mind tells you to eat. That's pretty much what I do. Okay, so during your your career while you were training, just give us an idea of what would be a uh, a, a, a typical daily meal plan what what would roughly you be eating for breakfast lunch and dinner well breakfast would always be crucial uh because i i was not a person who could eat a lot between races or before races so i always ate a lot of uh, muesli, just uh yogurt and cereals and then uh, if i felt like maybe some eggs in the morning uh I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And then uh, some whole bread or something like that. Just a really nice breakfast. Um, then uh, for, for lunch at the race day, I would not eat too much. Maybe uh, some uh, energy bars uh, or some protein shakers. Uh, just something really light on your stomach where you should not get too much energy uh, for, for uh, well, <laughs> processing your nutrition. So just something, yeah, already processed and tailored for, for sports. Uh, and then in the evening, I would just eat what was what, uh, still needed to be eaten, you know, uh, depending on how the day went, how much energy I left. Uh, so uh, in the evening, probably some meat uh, or some fish and um a lot of vegetables, salads, uh, stuff like that. I would not eat too many carbs because we didn't eat too many. Mm. Uh, something like that. But it's it's individual. I think uh, everybody has different needs, and I really believe in, in listening to your body. And uh, your body will tell you what 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 he needs and what he's craving for. Mm. Did anyone help you with this, Dominique, or is it just something you you learned about throughout your career? Ah, we had uh, some nutrition specialists helping us out, uh, just 
giving us some advice. Uh, also, the people I worked with from Binforce who were doing my protein shakes, they would always make sure that the diet was balanced and uh, that we would get uh, the, the right stuff at the right time. Mm. So uh, we, we mentioned the Olympics there, and obviously you, you were at the, the 2010 Games. What was that experience like for you? Oh, it was tough. Uh, I got injured four weeks before the Games and oh. really made, wanted to just press those Games in. You know, I was at a really good um, level, and I knew that there, it was possible to, to do a, a medal, and then I got injured and I went to the surgery and I think three days after surgery, I was back in the gym, which tried to make it happen. And then 10, 10 days after the surgery, I was back on a World Cup race and it went quite okay. And um, When I flew to um, Canada, of course, the knee got swollen again and then we just tried to make it happen. And uh, then the games came and the slope was super tough. It was super icy bumpy probably the toughest course i've ever been there uh, i've ever raced and then i mean i don't know i really put put my heart in there i just raced on on the limit and i was in a metal spot and then i crashed on the final jump and it was just devastating because i i i put all on all in all on the line i gave it all it was so tough to to um, get the courage needed for such a tough race four weeks after surgery. And I did it. I mean, I, I did a great run and then I crashed again. And I was like, can't be, right? I mean, this is this must be a joke. Mm. So uh, that was probably the toughest moment of my career. I really wanted to just, yeah, just give up. I, I, I was like, there's nothing left. There's nothing left I could add. Like, I gave it all. And that's how it ended up. And it was just too much mm. to handle, really. Yeah. How, how long were you in this kind of upset? How long were you? did it affect you before you were able fortunately, to think? <laughs> fortunately, not too long. I mean, it was just uh, Dominic style. The more somebody beats me up, the more I, I fight back, back I guess. Uh, <laughs> when I got back to Switzerland, I was just, okay, well, that's it. You better handle it or you you really give up. You do something else. And I knew I couldn't because I love this sport so much. Mm. So you, I went back on the course and, yeah. Were you able to, to look back on that and and pick out positives from it that would later help you in 2014? Or, or can you only really do that now? Probably not. I mean, it was just the biggest deception of my career. And... Uh, the only thing I tried to do before going to Sochi was to try to not have too many bad emotions about the Olympics, you know, <laughs> because it was just such a deception the last time. And I think what I really did was just to blend it out and to take it as a race and, and not get too distracted by all the Olympic thing going on, which is huge, you know, it's like crazy. Uh, Vancouver was overwhelming for me when I got there and the opening ceremony and everything so when I was in Sochi I really didn't join any of those things I didn't I didn't go to the opening ceremony I didn't go to all the special uh, events I just went there to race my race mm. 
and and of course in in Sochi you, you became an Olympic champion you were able to kind of forget about 2010 and walk away with a gold medal and I, I saw a video recently I think you did it with the uh, Olympic channel just talking about that race talking about when yeah. you became the champion and, and one of the things you mentioned there was that the the first three turns were arguably the best you'd ever done um yeah were you what some people call in the zone and 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 what made them so good what what happened then absolutely i mean in 2012 i got another injury without even crashing and to get back from that one was super tough on my mind especially because before i always had these huge crashes and i knew okay you did something wrong and that's what happened but in 2012 i got a season-ending injury by not even doing anything wrong Mm. and that was hard I mean how could you convince your body to keep doing something that you would get injured at all the time when you didn't even do something wrong so it it took a lot of energy from me and coming to the games we tried just every mental trick possible to get me back into a state where I would be able to race at my best and not race at 80%, which I did the two years before. And I knew it was coming. I mean, every turn I got better, I got stronger. And in Sochi, it really, something clicked in my mind. And I was, when I was at the start, I felt super sick because it took so much energy to get in this zone. But I knew I was there. I really knew it. I mean, on the start gate, I was going to happen. And then it was just these three turns and I was fully in. And I was, I mean, I remember everything, but in the moment, I was just in the moment. I could not think. It was just quiet. And then I got down and I took a second when I crossed the finish line just to think for myself, was it all you you had? Like, did you give your best? And the answer was yes. And then I looked at the leaderboard and I was like, okay, it's green. That's a good thing. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, I knew that Fabian was doing a great run. And so I knew when, when I was faster than her, it's got, probably going to be a medal. Wow, amazing. Uh, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But you, you mentioned there um, you tried every type of mental trick. Now, were there any that particularly worked for you? And, and can you explain them at all? Well, the one that worked in Sochi was really to get back in little, little steps. And we did it by just doing one single turn perfectly without any margin, without slowing down, without any, you know, risk management. Mm. And then two weeks later, two and so on and so on. And one week before Sochi, I felt it was like 23 uh, turns on 100 percent and one on maybe not 100 percent. And then in Sochi, I just made the 24 turns, yeah. <laughs> so you, you crossed the line, you you took the moment to think about it, you saw the time, you're in the lead. How tough was that next hour? <laughs> it was a tough one. Um, I just remember that I stood there in the leaderboard and I, I mean, all I could see was like if the light was red or green. I didn't even see the timings anymore. And it was just a lot of nerve-wracking moments, everybody attacking my time, and yeah, it was crazy, for mm. sure. 
did you think and it was a super close race right <laughs> it was very close did you did you think you had lost when when tina crossed the line yeah of course i mean it was green and i was like yeah well second that's okay you know i mean i would have been super happy with a medal too and then i looked again and i saw zero 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 i was like that's a good thing that's a good thing right <laughs> and then uh, yeah we just freaked out it was amazing yeah mm. Because you, you both got a gold medal. Do, do you wish it was just you on top of the podium or, or did you not care about that? Not at all. It was even more special. I mean, Tina is such a good friend and we were already friends back then and she's a legend of our sport, you know. And for mm. me, it was an honor to share this gold with her. And I mean, you almost never have that in our sport that you can share exactly the same feelings in exactly the same moments with somebody and it sure bonded us it was uh, really cool mm, yeah it's normally only bronze when people have to share isn't it so it's really unique yes it was for sure so how did it then feel to be an olympic champion did your life change at all i don't think so i hope not <laughs> i mean i think it, it was just something that uh, paid back a lot of the crazy and hard stuff and it just made I guess it made me get in peace with my story a lot you know I guess I, I'm much more at rest now and I, I can look back at in a more relaxed way to to all what happened uh it sure made sure that I would never be bitter about my career I mean it's just how it was and and it was perfect that way you know and it, it sure made me feel, yeah, in peace with with uh, with my story. Mm. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you you retired not long afterwards. Had you not got that gold, let's say let's say you almost missed out on a medal, for example, came fourth, hypothetically, would you then have been bitter about the rest of your career because of the injuries? I hope not, but you can never tell. I mean, it was really times, and I, I really poured my heart out. And and of course, it would have been hard to accept that I never got there. Uh, of course, it would have been. But I think I'm also a person who, who always gets back up and and just gets another another defeat and uh, finds another another challenge. So uh, I hope not, but I cannot for sure i mean if you work for so hard on something for so long and then it's just never meant to be it's it's tough it's just tough mm. and you mentioned what you're up to now and one of the things that i don't think you mentioned is you also have a book called making it happen and you also do a talk on on the same thing how's that been going well it's was amazing to come back from Sochi and have all these people freak about freak out about that victory and mm. I realized it's not only this victory it's really my story that kind of touched people and maybe not even because of me but much more because it's just such a Cinderella story right I mean if you would make a movie about it everybody would say this is so unreal i mean this is way too much way too much to have the end something like that never happens in real life but it did happen in real life so i had strangers 
crying in my arms because they were so touched by this story. And then I had a lot of, of uh, people asking me to, to give this story uh, on and to, to help uh, motivate other people who are in a tough time just to hang in there and uh, believe that finally the turnaround will come. And it was overwhelming. I mean, I got a thousand mails every day. Wow. And then uh, my mental coach really helped me to handle this by, <laughs> by doing this, uh, well, professional speech together uh, where we really try to get my experience into a form where, where everybody can profit from it. And it's, it's a blast. I mean, for me, it's really something I like to do, just to give on the experience, to give on uh, everything I learned. And, uh, yeah, and then... Uh, the demand was so big that we even did a book and it's, it's just something that uh, gives me a lot and it's, it's super cool to do and, and uh, I love to be on tour with, with Chris. Uh, it's, it's really something special. Mm, absolutely inspiring Dominique well I, I think that's the perfect way to end this conversation with you today thank you so much for being on the program before you go why don't you just let us know Dominique where we can continue to follow your journey online or where we can buy the book or a social media link or something like that please well it's super easy you just go on my website dominiquezin.ch and you find everything there uh, links to my social media accounts uh, the link to the book uh, to the tour so uh, yeah uh, everything's online <laughs> wonderful well I'll make sure we put a link to that when we put this podcast out thank you so much for being on the program and thank you for being the best in the world <laughs> thank you have a great day bye the Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. A wonderful chat there with Dominique. Let's stay on the skiing theme for just a moment. If you enjoyed that conversation or want to learn from more skiing Olympic and world champions, then I've spoke to a few of them on this podcast before on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Go back and listen to episode 84 with Mario Matt. Mario won Olympic gold in the men's slalom at the 2014 Sochi Olympics, where he was 34 years of age, becoming the oldest person to win an alpine skiing gold. Also, in episode 82, I spoke to Julia Mancuso. Julia won Olympic giant slalom gold in 2006. And you'll never guess what. She ate Pop-Tarts and slept in an RV before she won that medal. It's an incredible story. Go back and listen to episode 82 with Julia Mancuso. We've also had cross-country skiing sensation Charlotte Caller. Charlotte's won golds at 2010 and 2014 Olympics and was a real pleasure to speak to. Go back and listen to that. Plus, I've spoken to a few speed skaters. I've spoken to snowboarders. I've spoken to winter ice hockey stars. They are all available on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. It's on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Acast, at sportachino.com, and pretty much at any podcasting platform that you know about. And in fact, if you go to your podcasting platform and it doesn't have The Best in the World with Richard Parr, please let me know because we should be there. 
All right, that is it for this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. Enjoy the Winter Olympics. Join in the conversation with our new Best in the World Facebook group. Please support us at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash best in the world. Enjoy the Winter Olympics. And I'm going to have another Winter Olympian, another Winter Olympics gold medalist on next week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. It'll be out next Thursday. Do not miss it. Goodbye for now. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 